Hello, and welcome to the VergeCast, the flagship podcast of TheVerge.com. It's a, it's, a, it's a podcast. That's what it is. We like it. Anyway, I'm Nilai. <laughs> Dieter is here. Dieter's in Hello. a mood. I'm in so an angry mood. I just want everyone to be okay with that. If you're in your car, just know that every time Dieter talks, you're going to feel the instinct to slam on the brakes, get out of the car, and run away because you're in fear <laughs> for your life. But uh, Megan's here. Hi, Megan. Hi. And we have a special guest for the first half of the show. Dan yeah. Seifert's here. Hey, how are you? And a little bit later, Jay Castronk is here to talk about the internet, uh, which is slowly being taken away from us, the people. And handed to the evil corporation. But first, we have distractions. But first, we have great distractions. <laughs> like so, expensive toy distractions. So the Galaxy S8 came out this week. We just got to get into it. No yeah. preambles. I mean, no you know what it jokes. is. If you're listening to the Vergecast, you know what the Galaxy S8 is, right? Like, is it? A, it's a. It's a. It's a phone. Yeah, it's a phone. It you know makes phone calls. It's a feeling. It does. It's apps, a way of life. Takes photos. Yeah. It's a. But it's a phone. It's got a like a frisson of danger <laughs> because it might explode. <laughs> Well, we don't know that. Maybe. I mean, the odds of the S8. <laughs> we don't ex- know that. It's the same with every phone, right? It's the same odds no, with every phone. No, it's super not the same with every phone. <laughs> so I, I, I want to get into it. Dan actually went to Korea. I want Dan to tell this whole story. Uh-huh. Dan, you watched a battery. Samsung exploded a battery in your face, I believe. Sure, yep. Yeah, they were just like, put it right up next to you. And they're like, see, we can, we can make these explode or not explode whenever we want, I believe is what Samsung said to you. Especially when we don't want. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sure. Um, but I will say, there's just I've been thinking about this all day because Walt and I talked about whether or not the battery would explode on his show yesterday a lot. There's no way that this phone explodes for this reason only. It's the end of Samsung if it does. Uh-huh. And they have to yeah. know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they, they are very much aware the importance of making sure that this phone does not explode, so which just, just sounds stupidly obvious. But like it's it's. It's right. not a conversation with any other phone, and it's a conversation with this phone it's the, it, because it, it, it of is, last year. It is the opening conversation Correct. with this phone. Yes. Everywhere that I've seen, it's like it's a joke. I mean, literally every headline yesterday was like, Samsung put out its great new phone. It might – it better not but explode. will it explode? Yeah. So yeah. I think I'm just going to set aside exploding for the duration of the show. Because I, I – it's A, it's, it's tired to talk about it at this point. Mm. Like – Either phone's going to explode or not explode. We shall see. But they just can't be that callous. Like they can't. They can't have like been like, yeah, it'll probably be fine. Like they thought about. I it. I mean, they 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 thought about it. They've come up with systems. They've got processes in place. They are spending a ton of money. I love on systems testings. and processes. Well, also like the the hardware of the phone is slightly thicker than last year, and they did not pack insane batteries into them. They're like. It's slightly smaller than they otherwise could have been. Right. It's yeah. very and much status quo on the battery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's. So that's it. That's all. Okay. The, that's all the more exploding talk we get. Not until even to tell thing. my story. Of how well, I want you to tell that story. Okay. But we're just we're just moving on from the the thing. So you went to Korea. I did. I went to Korea. I uh, got a meeting with Samsung's executives and product planners. <laughs> how many of stuff? them were in jail at the time? <laughs> See, it's funny. You can set aside exploding, but you can do how many of you are in jail and participating so in the, it was, the uh, downfall of the South Korean government? Our visiting hours were limited to an hour, <laughs> and there was no touching. <laughs> um, so... All the executives I talked to were free on their own volition. They were not um, uh, in handcuffs in or, <laughs> or in jail. Uh, and I was in their offices, and they were telling me all about their new phone, which is the Galaxy S8, as we know, and the S8 Plus, uh, and all of the things that they've been doing with it and the plans that they have for it. And they also talked to me about their 
Bixby and Assistant and some of the other services and stuff that they are looking forward on. So yeah. beyond the Galaxy S8 is really what Samsung wants to think about and talk about. Because the thing in the present is the... Well, the thing in the present... All right, the, the Galaxy 8 looks like, an, to be, by all accounts, an excellent phone. It's got a killer design, probably, you know, I, I you know easily saying the best hardware... Uh, we've ever seen on a, a smartphone. I think Dieter would agree with that. Who has, yep. Dieter's, Dieter's actually touched it. He, he, he used it. Amazing hardware, amazing design, amazing fit and finish. The display is like jaw-dropping. It like is pushed all the way to the edges of, this, of the phone itself, so it feels like you're just holding a screen and not an so actual phone. So in photos, so. It, it looks like it has bezels. So it does have bezels above and below the screen because there are things they need to put in there like a front-facing camera and sensors it has an iris scanning feature so it needs sensors for that and then there's bits of electronics in the bottom but they are like a third of what the bezels are on an iphone like there's it's so minimized or minimized and they're black so that the edges of the black screen just kind of like meld into it and when you're watching a video on this thing it's a really immersive experience and it's really cool but what it you know, the things that they did was they, because they use their signature curved screens on both of these devices, they're managing to put these giant displays into smaller devices that are easier to handle and stuff like that. These are all concerns that consumers have had. They want a bigger screen in a smaller phone. So this is how Samsung's addressing it. And it's doing it in clever ways and they are good looking and functional. It's at also, the same time. but it's like a funky aspect ratio. Yeah, they're doing a funky aspect ratio. They're Vlad not the first, literally but put a post on the site today that has like, a lot of math in it. Or maths, as Vlad would say. Yeah, math. Well, he can't help it. <laughs> He's zero. <laughs> um, there's also a picture of an avocado at the end. It's very strange. <laughs> I was very confused. He did. He did like literally the Pythagorean theorem, right. and at the end, he's like, "It equals all." Because they are using uh, what is known as an eighteen point five by nine aspect ratio, which is taller. Oh yes, the the, the very well known eighteen point five. Yes, it's 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 very aspect well ratio. <laughs> Famous round the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so I will call it the uh, two point two five to one. I don't know. Oh my god! Um, which is a taller aspect ratio than the sixteen by nine that we're used to on most phones. So that makes these phones taller and skinnier than we're used to seeing. Which means that a five point eight inch version of this phone does not technically have as much screen real estate as a five point eight inch phone with a sixteen by nine aspect ratio. That said, there's still really big screens. Yeah, in a really small footprint. Does having it taller feel weird? You know, I only use them for a brief amount of time. It didn't really feel that weird, especially on the smaller version, because the smaller version yeah. is, is really comfortable to hold. I uh, On the bigger one, which is 6.2-inch screen, it definitely is a big phone that you're holding. Yeah. I think the smaller one is way better, uh, even though it has a smaller battery. They both have the same screen resolution. Because it's like a little bit narrower than you expect, reaching up to the top of the screen isn't quite the disaster that it might otherwise be. Um, I'm really curious to see if they're going to add like a notification button to the customizable soft buttons at the bottom of the phone, the way that LG does with the G6, because it means you don't have to reach up for the notification pane. Yeah. Um, so it is slightly easier to adjust your grip and reach the top of the screen. But I got to say, it is, we all sort of made fun of Apple's double tap, double slightly touch the home button to like bring the screen halfway down. Um, but man, when you use an iPhone for a while and then switch over to yeah. an Android phone, you really miss it. Um, so it's going to be fine. That's one of the fine. reasons it's I haven't switched to Pixel full time. That and uh, crippling iMessage lock-in. Yeah. <laughs> yes. well, literally, I'm going to go with the things. crippling lock-in. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, it's like, oh, I like double tapping. I Well, you know, we'll have You can a, install, uh, look, there's an app on Android that lets you do it. You, you don't even need an app. It's, 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 it's built into the platform. You like swipe into the side. That's is that Samsung? No, this is a Motorola. Just, it's this is oh, a native a, Android phone thing. Use wait what? Just use Allo, guys. Yeah, you just swipe in from the corner and it makes what? it smaller. Wait, hold on. Stop I'm blowing, sh- blowing Eli's mind with a little tutorial on how to Android. <laughs> no, but my that Pixel doesn't, doesn't work do on that. every phone, Dan. But it works on the Pixel. It works on a Motorola. It works on a wait, Samsung what? phone. Wait, you can't what? do that on a Pixel. Yeah, yeah. What gesture are you talking about? The you swipe, swipe up in to from make the corner. The tiny phone gesture. Where in settings is that? I, I don't know. I'm not going to spend <laughs> the show is... trying to figure Dan out has, where in settings Dan on that. Dan has 15 but minutes it's... left to talk about. The, the, the <laughs> and he's just going to teach us how to use Android. I thought that was a weird. Never mind. Never mind. No, no. Well, the thing is, lots of phones have that feature. Yeah. What you just got It's just a different thing than double tapping the home button, like Dieter pointed out. So. Yeah. Anyhow, so what do you think of this phone? I think it's going to be a great phone. I think it's yeah. the. Uh, Best Android phone of the year so far, without a doubt. I think it blows away what we've seen from LG. I feel really HCC's bad for doing. LG. A, yeah. they fucked up their marketing super bad, just real bad. <laughs> they they blew. They had a golden opportunity that could have sponsored this show. It would have been my official phone. Yeah, all right, you're going this route again. I'm just saying it was it was sitting in the palm of their hand. Do you know what's really sad is uh, uh, there's the travel ban on flights to the Middle East with mm-hmm. like laptops and things, and like literally like LG. Like Saudi Arabia, one of LG, one of their divisions in one of these Middle Eastern com- uh, countries, put out an ad targeted to business travelers. It's like, don't worry, the G six is fine on planes, and they use the fucking song. <laughs> and I was like, well, this you know, is not what I wanted from this moment in world history. What are history. royalty rates in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, they were like, don't worry, it still flies like a G six, and it's like, oh, we're just. Oh. So I don't like, feel bad for LG too much because yeah. LG operates on a much different scale than Samsung or Apple. Like, the reality is LG is a much smaller player, especially in the premium smartphone space. They just do not move nearly as many units, and especially here in the West and in, in the U.S. and such, they don't sell nearly as many. So you know, it's LG is going to LG, and they're just going to be there. They're going to be there next year too, and they're going <laughs> to LG can't again. Stop. I uh, will say that um, I, having had the Pixel, I much prefer looking at LCD than an OLED screen. Really? Yep. Absolutely. Wow. I find OLED screens so bright. Yeah, that's it's awesome. So so you go bright. Outdoors and, like, but you I can read, read so much on my phone mm-hmm. that I I prefer the somewhat like non nuclear brightness. <laughs> you know, of the L- phones LCD. have these things nah, called brightness sliders. It's not. And it's night like mode. the color. Oh man, the night mode on Pixel is like. It's, <laughs> it's like so they, they let an intern do it, and the intern was like, "It's just yellow, right? We'll just make everything yellow. That's cool." I don't know. There's something about a great LCD. If the new iPhone is OLED, it's going to be a sad day for me. I disagree. I think I think OLED is a smart move for the iPhone. Also, I I can still see the pentiled matrix. You think <laughs> I can't? Can. But I got you. I know you're cheating, uh, Megan. I just want to tell you a story. One of the no, most, we're not talking about pentile on this. One podcast. of the most controversial things ever published on The Verge was me noting that the Motorola was it the Droid X had yep. a shitty screen yeah. because of the arrangement of the pixels on the screen. And it got so heated that I had to take macro photography uh-huh. of the screen and publish it to prove that I wasn't crazy. Are you also, okay? Motorola got so mad at me, they sent me another phone and demanded that I re-review it. It's a, it's a common move for companies. When... It's a garbage screen. Yeah. <laughs> Still, it was a bad phone. Anyway. I might have to have LG send me another G6 because I just discovered I have a surprise random hairline crack on the rear Gorilla Glass for no good reason. LG yeah, yeah. gonna LG. That doesn't mean anything. 
I mean, the LG <laughs> the does other feel guy's like phone's a cut exploded. Rate like a tiny crack on the back is like not a thing. Um, yeah. Tell me about Bixby. There's two things I want to know about for real. Yeah. The face unlock, which seems really cool but very insecure, mm-hmm. uh, and Bixby. Okay, so starting with face unlock because they're they're unrelated. Yes. Uh, face unlock. Yes, they're is... not. You don't just look at the phone and a dog butler shows up and it's like, do you need help? Yet. <laughs> Uh, the face unlock is uh, yet another way to unlock your phone. You can look at it uh, without having to put your fingerprint on it or it doesn't need to see your irises or put in a pin and it will recognize your face and unlock. It sounds very similar to a feature Android has had since 2011 with Ice Cream Sandwich, mm-hmm. which was really kind of crappy at the time. It was very slow and insecure or unsecured. Uh, <laughs> insecure. It was unsure of itself. Like all of Android um, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't quite know what it was going to yeah. be. It was a goth face for Android. <laughs> Actually, 4.0 was like a very goth face for Android. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good point. But Samsung says it's using a new engine that it developed. It's not using the standard Android feature. And <laughs> a I shocking really, move from Samsung. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really think they built that in because the placement of the fingerprint scanner sucks so much. Yeah. So they want you to forget about the fingerprint scanner and just use the face unlock because the face unlock is wildly convenient. Like, it's so fast. Uh, you could see in Dieter's video when he does a hands-on, it's literally, like, split second, it, like, screen wakes up, it sees your face and it's unlocked. Like, before you even have time to react and swipe the screen, it's already unlocked. So you almost never even see the lock screen. Uh, super convenient. It works at a comfortable distance. You pull the phone out of your pocket, it's unlocked. Samsung admits that it is not as secure of a unlock as a fingerprint, iris, pin, or passcode. Yeah. Like, you can't authenticate Samsung Pay purchases with your face. It won't even let you do that because it's not secure enough. It is purely a convenience thing. I think I'll probably use the hack out of it because I hate putting my pin code in, and I also kind of hate the location of that fingerprint scanner. So, But if it's a security thing, if you want the most secure way, the most secure way is to put like an alphanumeric password on your phone, which yeah. nobody does. So. Well, I think, I think I Addy well, is... Well, of course Dieter does. Of course Dieter does. <laughs> um, but Dieter also has like a secondary hack where he doesn't need it, or like another <laughs> phone types it in for him when he enters a macro. macro. Um, it's just a classic Dieter bone move. The, the double alphanumeric security <laughs> pro tip. But anyway, um... Thank you so much. I love you, man. <laughs> okay. That's what that's why I tease. Uh, but is that true? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I think Addy's writing a piece about the security of the face unlock because we're yep. Not to go back to like airport security, but we are in a moment mm-hmm. when people coming through TSA I, and DHS are like getting asked to unlock their phone. They're getting their phone searched, right? And if they can just point the phone at your face and unlock it, you're kind of fucking screwed, right? It's not like you know a fingerprint's like one thing where they have to like actually physically force you to do something. And, there, and, and they, there's like a legal argument yeah. over whether or not that's acceptable. But like if they can just take your phone and be like. And if they know that system is there and it does it, then, yeah, that's totally a valid concern. I can tell you that when we get review units in, the first thing I'm going to do is try and trick it with a uh, printed image. Can it? Can a photo fool this? And I, I hope it can't, but, you know, we'll find out. Well, uh, it would need to have some depth sensing, it, you know, right? it, it's, But it has autofocus. So it, it uses, must have some depth sensing. It the uses the front-facing camera. I'm sure there are – I know that Google – eventually added algorithms to its face unlock thing that looks for motion. So if you're Mm -hmm. blinking or your eyes are moving so that it doesn't get tricked by an image. Um, But we'll find out. Maybe I mean, maybe if I put a video up of, of myself talking, or you take a print out of your face and you and you like hold it over a mannequin head, or a three D print, or if we switch faces, <laughs> as in the classic movie Face Off. I was to say Nick Cage can actually open any Galaxy S eight. That's how it works. <laughs> That's actually a great feature. Also, yeah. I just want to say this. I just want to admit to the audience and you guys, 
I super watched National Treasure 2 last night. <laughs> oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, Come see, on. it's fine. It's fine. Now it's off my chest. So Bixby. <laughs> Does Bixby know Bixby. where the President's Book of Secrets is? Uh, if, if I knew anything... By the way, Bixby definitely also sounds like a character that would be National Treasure 3. Yeah, if I knew anything yes. about National yeah. Treasure's plot, I'd make a segue. What is wrong with you? Go home right now and watch... <laughs> don't you have children? You have a child. Yeah, but they're like young, then. They don't want to watch a crazy Nick Cage running you, around. This is how you introduce them to the richness of American history. <laughs> The and rules also, about talking about Bixby uh, on the Verge cast are you must refer to it as a cute little terrier wearing <laughs> shoes definitely with shoes. a bow tie. That's also And it is the sidekick to Skate's Acetone. Skittles. The, uh, Skittles Come acetone. on. Skittles Acetone. Skittles, Skittles Acetone. acetone <laughs> who's, uh, who's in the roller derby. <laughs> Ah, not one of, our, again. one of our one of our listeners, by the way, wrote like a thousand word fanfic story about their adventures. Oh, we got an email today about school. Anyway, Bixby. Yeah. So Bixby the dog is Samsung's uh, spin on the virtual assistant. It's its answer to Siri and Google Assistant and Alexa and Cortana. But instead of being like a knowledge database, like all of those are, it is supposed to be something that helps you use your phone. And it's kind of a very vague way to express it but you there's a button on the side of the s8 there's an entire button dedicated to this feature that you push the button and you hold it and you talk to it like it's a walkie-talkie and you tell it things like send this picture to neli and it knows what picture you're looking at and it like opens up a text message and it puts in neli's contact info and it sends it off without having to type in things or it might be like you know turn the brightness down on my screen and it turns the brightness down all these like functions of Stuff that you do on your phone that you might use the touchscreen for, Bixby is supposed to allow you to do that with your voice. At least that's the grand plan. So let's reveal the secret of Bixby, which is that it's a tiny dog. It's a tiny dog. No, it doesn't work right now. Yeah. So uh, right, it, they haven't. They didn't demo it at the event. So they they, they didn't yeah. demo it at the event. Uh, we got to see some private demos of the voice actions working. So I saw someone, you know, they demoed me the controlling Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and brightness or doing things like sending messages and stuff like that. The essential problem is that it doesn't do very much now, period. Like even when you buy the phone on April 21st when it comes out, Bixby is going to be super limited. It's going to be stuck to like eight to 10 of Samsung's own apps and that's it. And then they're going to be adding more app compatibility. Essentially apps have to be built to support Bixby. So the challenge, of course, is going to be getting third-party apps to do this. Right. Um, Which has never been a challenge that Samsung has been good at. Correct. Just look at all those wonderful apps for Tizen. No, I mean, that, but that's like a... A, first of all, getting Android developers to do anything <laughs> is like very difficult. Yeah. So like Google was today, they're like, hey, Android developers. Please, every these screens. Every, all these tall <laughs> screens are everywhere. Are you interested in that? Android developers like, no. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> well, I think it would be smart of Android developers to support those screens because those are screens on the devices that people are actually going to buy. Yeah. So, and, 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 and like, honestly, I have yet on the G6 anyway, I have yet to run into an app that's like, well, screw this. Like even a bunch of the games, are, like it works out fine. Like they're already used to supporting a million different screen sizes. Right. A slightly taller screen size shouldn't break very many apps. Are you wearing AirPods right now? I am. Yeah. Wow. Brave. How's it working? Uh, it's w- paired with Mac. Uh, it works fine in the office. If I try to move too fast or go anywhere that's any, any has any sort of loudness, like the subway, I can't hear shit with them, hmm. and they also fall out. 
But in the office, they're fine. So there's the, the, wait, you go ahead. I was going to say, the thing about Bixby is like the difference between it and Google Assistant is actually not as clear as Samsung would like us mm-hmm. to believe, I think. Uh, they're like, you know, Bixby's for controlling your phone and Google's for doing Google stuff. But Bixby also sets reminders and it also apparently can do stuff with Wolfram Alpha. Yeah. Uh, they basically just didn't decide or didn't work out parent partnering with either Google or Bing. And so they don't have the full assistant stuff yet. And I, I doubt they would, you know, they will. Well, um, I feel like I, feel I think like the Bing plan is over time. Anyone, so. Over time, I think Samsung actually does want Bixby to like take those other Alexa, Siri, Google Assistant, blah, 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 head on. They're just nowhere near being ready to do that yet. So they picked a feature set that was like, justify its existence on the phone and then later on we'll be able to build in that other stuff no i I really do think they want to take them on i think well sure but i think it it, this the background here kind of like leads you to it so it was there was the team that developed siri and they all went to work for apple they sold siri to apple then they hated working for apple they left and they started viv which Uh was like their next voice assistant and then samsung bought viv so it's the it's the same people who initially well, made Siri. Yeah, no, no, you're wrong. No, no. Samsung built Bixby in house. It was really? all is a project. So what that are the was Viv guys for, doing? They nothing yet. They're chilling. They're well, well, technically, the acquisition I don't think is closed yet. So I don't Whoa. think they're doing anything yet. My but assumption goal, was they just took Viv and made Bixby. No, not at all. No. Uh, Bixby is an in-house thing. And, and that's the reason that I think Samsung really wants Bixby to be known now before Viv has gotten its hands into it. Because Samsung wants this impression that it can build good software services. And it can be a Google, a Microsoft, an Apple. And Bixby is an intelligent voice assistant that uses artificial intelligence and machine learning and all these other buzzwords that all the other companies talk about but nobody thinks about with Samsung. And Samsung wants to be part of that conversation. And so that's why it is putting Bixby out now, even though it's very limited. That's why it announced Bixby before it announced the S8, because it wants to be that company that's more than just a company that makes products that run other people's platforms. Do they know that they named it Bixby? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to hear the backstory and why it's named Bixby? Yes, I, I know that. I do. Uh, so <laughs> DJ Co has a tiny dog who loves wearing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> also, that uh, it, it's multiple reasons. One oh, of them, no, I got in the shoes again. One of them will not surprise you at all. They uh, focus tested a bunch of names, and Bixby tested really well with millennials for whatever reason. Uh, Wait, was that the one that wasn't supposed to surprise me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't surprise you. It's Samsung, of course, they're gonna focus test everything. No, I meant and, like the, use the, the one. millennials, millennials, like a group really of like millennials, right? Oh yeah, Bixby. Yeah, that sounds like our friend. The other, the it's another, like it's like vaguely British, right? It it, it does it seem kind of vaguely British. Um, yeah. They say that it's a it's a good um, phonetically, it's good for computers to pick up the audible sound because yeah, it's, it's a, a unique word. word. Uh, it's like Alexa. And, it's got an X. Exactly. And then this might be the stretch, but they also gave if uh, the the reason that if you think of it metaphorically as Bixby being the bridge between Samsung, the hardware company, and no. Samsung, the software and no. services company, it wants no. to be Bixby no. is that bridge, and there's an actual no. bridge in California called Bixby uh, Canyon Bridge. No, it's no. It's remarkably dorky. Hey, look, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They are copying Apple in naming products after California landmarks? No, they just typed Bixby into Google, and they're like, oh, good, it's a bridge. And also, <laughs> nobody else has used this, so we're clear on rights. <laughs> yeah, Mac OS Bixby was not on the, on the whiteboard. 
I mean, look, I think the Bixby stuff is really interesting. I mean, I think it's really part interesting of it if that, they're like, able to execute the, and the bring their full vision search around. part of it, where the ca- camera search is now a system level feature of the phone. I am shocked no one has ever done that before. Right? Like, I, I, I uh, Amazon world. has. It was called but Firefly. It was on the wildly popular Amazon said it before. Yeah, In fact, if you count. have Google Assistant on your phone and yeah. you open up the camera app and open Google Assistant at the same time, it'll use computer vision and Google Goggles features right in Google Assistant. So it's not an entirely original feature. It's a feature <laughs> it, that... It only, it only takes like 15 different weird key combinations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's Google. Uh, but it's something that nobody thinks about because nobody really is asking for it. Or, you know, like, I, I don't know what the practical use of that is other than I want to buy something and I don't know how to type in a search box. Like, the only things that Amazon, or excuse me, uh, Samsung's really shown is that you can use it to find something to buy on Amazon, or you can use it to find similar images on Pinterest. And you can use it to, like, look up a wine bottle label and landmarks. So, like, if you point it at the Empire State Building, it'll recognize that. I just think we're, we're clearly entering a, a world in which enhanced cameras are more and more a part of the fabric of everything, whether it's just Snapchat filters or whether it's Facebook's copies of Snapchat filters. Yes, it has uh, Snapchat filters in its camera app. Of, of course it does. <laughs> are you kidding? Do you think Samsung could resist that? They're like, come on, that. do it. Uh, but the idea that you can point your camera at something and it will return a result to you, I mean, we have lived in a world full of QR codes for the longest mm-hmm. time. And everyone's like, "What oh, am Bixby I can to... read QR codes. That's what I mean. Like, that's like that might be its most important feature. Like, it makes the world understandable to you without having to download like Red Laser or whatever the hell yeah. it is. So I, I don't know. I think that part's. I, neat. I'm I'm more interested in the future Bixby Vision if they're able to pull it off. What they really want to do is connect all of their various products, whether it's a washing machine or a refrigerator, a TV, a phone, a watch, or whatever, with this Bixby. And they want to use that as the link between them. And if they're able to pull all that off, that might be really super interesting to me. But that's the part of Samsung. Like, they put out the Wi-Fi router, mm-hmm. Samsung Connect. Mm-hmm. No, it's the Samsung Connect Home, right, Dieter? And then the protocol yeah. is called Samsung Connect, or the platform is called Samsung the, the, Connect. The app is Samsung Connect, yeah. That's the part, to me, where it's like, this shit isn't around in a year. Like you're buying a Samsung router a year from now, that it's not getting well, firmware updates Samsung Connect anymore. is essentially a rebranding of SmartThings, right. and SmartThings is a very good smart home platform. It's one of the, uh, you know, as far as smart home platforms go, which are not great, but Peter it's one shaking of the better his ones. Head at you. So, uh, yeah, the AirPods failed, and then they came back, and then Skype said, "Hey, there's some AirPods here. We're going to take control of your entire system audio," and then everything just went to sh- shit. So, Dieter, we were talking about Samsung Connect. Did you oh, play yeah, with any of that okay. stuff? Well, so, my theory is that a year from now. Like smart things will be around, that's fine. But these Wi-Fi routers are just—I mean, the Wi-Fi routers are like taking advantage of the hype of Eero and 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 what mesh and and whatever. But like, I don't see it as taking advantage of anything. This is what routers are now, and Samsung makes routers. Yeah. End of story. I think Samsung is clever to have tied it to uh, Connect and their smart things system. Uh, They're also clever to have built in Zigbee and Z-Wave and all the other crap. Like, I'm actually, but that's smart things. No, I know, but. This is the first like we are, nobody wants a freaking smart things hub in their house. It's like annoying and dumb. You want it built into your Apple TV or your home speaker smart speaker or your Wi-Fi router. And Samsung just built it into the Wi-Fi router, which is where it belongs. It's where it's always belonged. And literally nobody else has done yeah. like done it as simply and cleanly and connected it to like software that you actually might really use. Ironic, so, ironically, that was the I'm actually of, really impressed with that. Yeah, it was a pitch of Google on Hub like two years ago, and yeah. Google just never executed on it. Well, it's because right. they 
the OnHub team like walked over to the Nest campus and the Nest people killed them. <laughs> Matt Rogers just took him out one by one. Um, very politely. So Matt Megan, you, very uh, nice did he, I always feel bad because like on a day like this, like we have a culture section. I believe the culture section published 20 stories yesterday, but like Samsung News just dominated the site. But did you watch any of this? Do you pay attention to it? What are no, your not really. Of course not. I use an iPhone. I don't care. You don't. There's nothing that can get you to switch from an iPhone. Not a giant screen. You know not what I a like dog about the iPhone voice assistant. is that I can name my conversations in chats, and I like being able to share location. I message lock in. I'm, I like I like iMessage. Also, like I like going on vacation, and all I need is Wi-Fi to like talk to people. Yeah, That's you can it. do all of this. You can do all of this on Android, FYI. I hate Android though, and I'm not going to use it. Woo! That is fair. That's totally that fair. Megan is at Megan underscore can. Nicolette on Twitter. <laughs> I know you can, but I'm not going to. Like, I realize these features are not that special, and they're available elsewhere. But I like them on my iPhone. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like the hardest thing Mm -hmm. for these companies to get over is absolutely that you can make a strong argument right now that what is happening with Android is far more innovative and interesting than anything. I mean, you get better battery life, you got a better screen, you can have better cameras. Like literally, the hardware has surpassed the iPhone in almost every measurable way. But it doesn't matter because the iPhones is good enough on all those fronts, and then it locks you in with iMessage and well, exactly. other features. But also, like, I will be the first to admit I'm not super tech-savvy, so it's like I don't need a lot of the fancy features. Like The most things I take pictures of with my camera are myself, so I don't really care if it's like... The, oh, uh, well, the Galaxy the S8, S8 has, has an 8-megapixel autofocus, autofocus front-facing camera. I, think I, I totally you agree bo- with you. You both just went for it. Like, I, yep. I totally agree with you, Megan. But there are <laughs> things that you could appreciate, I'm sure, like better battery life. For sure. Faster charging. Easier ways to charge your phone. All this other like day-to-day stuff that's not like a nerdy spec battle type of thing. Um, but it doesn't matter because, you know, people are willing to put up with the iPhone's battery life. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the real question for Apple is like, they're going to redesign this phone in September. Everyone's expecting him. I would imagine it's going to look a lot like this phone. Yep. And it's not going to like hurt them at all. That they There's not like a lot. There's not a world in which Apple can push the hardware design of the phone much farther than Samsung just pushed it. Yeah. Like uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens because if if they do if it does look like an S8 that means they're sourcing their displays direct from Samsung anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think Apple will ever do a curved screen. Yeah, but like the curved screen, it's a Samsung signature, but it actually solves a real problem in that people don't want to have a big phone, but they want to have a bigger screen, and the curved screen is what enables Samsung to put a bigger screen. But isn't Apple's size. move is it's going to be hide everything under? It's going to be to get rid of the bezels and hide everything under the screen itself. Yeah, but something's going to hold the screen in place, right? Like, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an engineer. I don't know. It's aluminium, but <laughs> that's what holds the screen. <laughs> they've been riding the same design for three years. Obviously, they're going to do something yeah. crazy and different this year. Uh, but you know, if you look at things like the Xiaomi Mi Mix, which is a phone that has almost no bezels around it and does not have curved sides. Uh, it's a very difficult phone to handle because you can't really hold it without touching the screen. Uh, it's also a very big phone because in order to hide everything, they had to make it a bigger screen so there's more room to hide the stuff underneath behind it. So there's a lot of ergonomic and practical challenges with doing that. So Yeah. I don't know, but they have aluminum. Are you going to spend $750 on this phone? Maybe. I mean, I, I, the answer is yes. Almost all of us are. That's the thing that we do here. Except for me. over here with my iPhone yeah. 5S chugging along with its terrible battery life. Dude, you, you just like dissed in a Drake song, too. You're like, the side <laughs> chick has a 5S with a cracked screen. <laughs> that's, that's, it's actually me. It's time for that. <laughs> What's he hey, like? There are worse things is in life than being a Drake side chick. 
By the way, this is a very unpopular opinion. I'm just going to say this. I got into a big fight with Micah Singleton and Nicola Fumo the other day about it. Uh-huh. I think More Life is not good. I think it really? sounds like a bunch of New Order reject B-sides. Wow. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I can't believe you wow. still have your entire face attached. Nicola, <laughs> Micah, here's how this conversation went. Micah took a very professorial tone with me <laughs> and told me that he was going to teach me all about grime. Nicola was like, how dare you? <laughs> that's that's how that conversation went with me. Anyway, uh, we got to let you go. Sure. Yeah. We got to yell about the internet. I'm going to read an ad. Megan, I want you to come back and talk about Ghost in the Shell and Persona 5. And then Jake will be here and we'll talk We'll talk about this internet stuff. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dan. Thank you. Today's episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by Crizal No Glare Lenses. If you wear glasses, then you know that fingerprints, smudges, scratches, and glares can be a constant obstruction to your vision and a huge distraction. Sometimes you end up focusing more on what's on your glasses than what's going on around you. That's why everyone loves Crizal No Glare Lenses. They give you the clearest vision possible by offering resistance to glares, scratches, and smudges. That means no more blinding glares from the headlights of oncoming traffic while driving at night, no more fingerprint smudges from taking your glasses on and off, or scratches from cleaning your lenses on your shirt. And because Crizal No Glare Lenses stay clear and reduce distracting glare, your friends and family can actually see your eyes, not just your glasses. So look better, feel better, and most importantly, be prepared for whatever comes your way with clear vision. Go to Crizal.com, that's C-R-I-Z-A-L.com, start living life in the clear. I did it. I, I did the whole I'm thing. I'm so proud of you. I know. That was so good. I didn't stumble once. I didn't use any swear words. Buy, buy, the, buy the glasses. Buy the fucking glasses. There it is. <laughs> there they are. All right, Megan. I need, you to, I need you to spend longer screwing that ad up because I was going to try and get my AirPods working again. <laughs> oh, I Jake did. is here. All right. Uh, and now they're broken. So again. Megan, okay. we don't we don't have a gadgetorial this week because uh-huh. we have no Paul, we have no Ashley, but we have you, and I want you to talk about Persona Five, which you were obsessed with. I was at South by Southwest, uh, and we were, we were like having our our big team dinner at the end, and I was talking to Chris Plant, and he, like there was a beep on his phone, and he like forwarded something to you, and Megan was like, "This better be a fucking Persona Five <laughs> invite." Like it was like a hostile <laughs> moment between the two of you at the end of a very good week. But tell me about this game. Um, Okay, Persona 5 is fucking incredible. It's so good. Um, Okay, so to give some background on the Persona series, um, it's basically a mix of like a dungeon crawler combined with like a social sim game. Yeah. Um, Persona 5 itself is just incredibly deep. So essentially you are a teenager living in Japan um, who by day is just like a normal kid. You go to school, you hang out with your friends, and then um, sort of by night you go and fight evildoers kind of but the way they do it is that um you find people who have really who are bad people who have like distorted desires and then you break into um a physical manifestation of those desires they're called palaces okay so for example um the first palace is a pervy high school gym teacher who considers himself to be i know (laughs) you're giving me a look there's a lot going on here so this guy considers himself to be like kind of like a lord of the school he like abuses students it's like really terrible so you break in and you're trying to like steal his treasure to get him to confess his crimes and punish him. But uh, the good thing about this game, besides... So an easy concept that can be explained to anyone. There, it, well, exactly. There's like a lot I have to like explain before I can be like, here's why it's good, though. Um, that's the basic premise. <coughs> You're a part of this group called the Phantom Thieves. Mm-hmm. Um, but the game is just good because like, aside from those dungeon-crawling moments, which are really good, the game is gorgeous, the dungeons are interesting, there's a lot of good action when you actually get into fights. But there's also just a lot of emphasis on like enjoying your life as a kid. Mm-hmm. So you spend a lot of time 
going to class or hanging out with friends. I know it's it's the most mundane Didn't thing. Did we have this conversation last week we about did. how all games now are about exactly what you would do in your regular day? Exactly. No, and I think I like kind of mentioned this like there's I don't know, sometimes you take the train in to go to school yeah. and sometimes you get like a seat on the train and like I li- we live in New York, right? Like I rode the train to get here. I got a seat. I was like, "Oh, this is cool, whatever." When it happens to me in Persona 5, it's like the best day. Yeah. I'm just like, "Oh shit, I'm going to read this book. It's going to be great." But yeah, it's just the game manages to gamify like really strange little moments and actually make it really enjoyable because if you get the chance to like sit down and like read a book on the subway it means that you can potentially open up a new spot or improve on your social stats and that's cool you're shaking your head i just i just feel like i want to develop an app that gamifies actual events in your real life i think they have i think those exist i think those exist already like that's that's pokemon go man don't you don't you see little creatures everywhere you go? I gotta get back into video games in a serious way, and every time we talk about these games that involve me simulating my life, I feel very confused about the entire situation. It's like imagine being a teenager, but being able to live the best version of your life, being able to like improve yourself, the way you look, the way you talk to girls, whatever. Invading people's dreams. <laughs> yeah. Normal just, teenagers just stealing normal their treasure yeah. so they confess their pervy crimes. Well, yeah. yeah, it's like essentially the Whatever. dream of being like a special kid who lives an otherwise normal life, but yeah. an otherwise perfect life, right? Okay, I'm into it. Okay, uh, the game is about 100 hours, so. 100 hours? <laughs> okay, wait, but I, I feel like every life, time you life see Life does not move hours. as fast as you think. Sorry, yeah. Jake, go ahead. Is that actual playtime? That's not like on That's the box. Actual, By the way, yeah. everybody, Jake Kastronakis is here. Oh, hey, this here. is Jake. What's going on? Jake is here. <laughs> I just walked in. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, He's uh, like, y'all talking about Persona? Going on? Okay. Yeah. Was there a Persona 1 through 4? Yes. Okay. Uh, were Persona, they all this weird? Yes. I would say the older ones are actually weirder because they were still kind of like working at the Kings. And Persona itself is a spinoff of a really weird series called Shin Megami Tensei, which is like a lot of like demon fighting and there are a lot of like weird, it's like a demon that just is like a giant dick. It's actually in this game. That, uh, mm. Yeah. When you say the demon is like a giant dick, do you just mean the demon is an asshole? Because I think demon covers that. Or do you mean that more literally? No, I mean like like you can actually find photos of it online. Like it's essentially a monster that just looks like a huge wang. Okay. Like, when I, I mean was a teenager, literally. I definitely thought to myself, I'd like to break into someone's dreams and kill a huge penis. <laughs> that <laughs> those, was the best those version. Were I'd like to put another hundred like, hours. Those are of my still life. my dreams. <laughs> that's so where you are, just generally. That uh, yeah, sounds fast. I mean, like the reviews of this game have been off the charts. Yeah, I've seen I them mean, everywhere. The game itself Our review is, is really good. It's it's very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, the game itself is just really deep. Like it's just very thought out and everything. Like the way it looks, the way it plays, like everything is so detailed in a way that I don't think a lot of games do very well. So I should put hundred hours into this. At least. What platform? At least. Is it's uh, PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. That is garbage. I know. I this know. game should be on the Switch. If you're going to give me a 100-hour game that isn't like that graphically intense, is it that graphically intense? Uh, it looks pretty good. It plays on the PS3. It can't be that insane. Fair point. Let me play it on the Switch. No, I totally agree with you. Um, actually, Persona 4, they ported it over to Vita, and it's really nice because it very much is like a pick-up-and-go kind of game. Because like the game progresses over the course of a year. You have actual calendar days. And a day can be you go to school, you come home, you like read a book, and then you go to bed. So it is very much like you could play a day and just turn it off. Right. But that, uh, just just sounds like, it. that just sounds like every day. Yeah, it, okay. but it's in a video I, I, game. I, there have been times in this description where I can't tell if you're talking about yourself or what you do in the game. You're like, yeah, on the subway, you, I get really yeah. excited. I'm like, is this like I, I'm still confused. In my regular day, I wish I could find time to read a book. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really nice. Yeah, well, like I said, it is just like this 
video games are power fantasies, right? And this one is a little bit more tame because half of the power fantasy is just like, if I had to read a book, I could improve my charm. Like, it is <laughs> yeah, the idea that, like, sense. you can put points to making yourself better or doing things in your life, like building your relationships and actually achieve your goals. So it's just very satisfying in that way. Think about, like, a farming sim, but it's with relationships. Is this, does the game, so the game does have an ending. It's not like Animal It does Crossing have an ending. No, like, no, okay. it definitely has an ending. Yeah, you kill all the pervs. You kill, mm. basically. <laughs> it seems <laughs> not like wrong. Where it's naturally going. Um, isn't there some big controversy about switch ports though, like taking up a huge amount of space, or like downloading a thing? I think we the, wrote about. It I, this I I thought. Well, there was also something about how like uh, the the memory cards that or the, the game cards yeah. that uh, for bigger games I guess cost more money at the factory, and so it seems like they're all trying to like use downloads or something as a way to yeah. save. Because the switch has a like limited amount of storage space. It's a, this is a super small. Yeah, so that I we wrote about it this week that like ports of Switch games in particular require massive amounts of space on the Switch as downloads. It's like we'll see. Well, I, th- I played with the Switch for a while this week because it's in the office now, like all hooked up to the TV, real nice. Oh, and every time I walk by, I'm like, ah, oh, it's real colorful. Uh, well, good news, this game is not on the Switch of for that specific reason, I guess. Yeah, no, it's just interesting. Like, it's I, I think the the Switch moment with Zelda is like very high. But then the Switch being a console that other games like this might be on, seems that road seems a lot bumpier going Nintendo's plan to have, have like, what, what is it, an indie game a week? Yeah. Like, that sounds really appealing if they can pull that off and get, like, legitimately good games and not, like, weird cell phone ports. Um, like, because th- that's what I want from games right now. I feel like the indie game scene um, is way more interesting than the mainstream console hits. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I would like to play, like portably. That, yeah, that I, mean, I will say really with familiar. the Switch, I'm definitely in the moment where I could go and just finish Zelda right now, and I'm trying not to because I just, I'm just trying to milk as much out of it as I can before like it's over, and then I have to switch to like whatever the next game on the Switch is because I don't know what that's going to be. Yeah, I guess it'll be uh, Master Blaster, but or like, you could get, buy a PS4 and Persona Five. Yeah. I, I do have a PS4. I'm thinking about Persona 5, but I don't know if I want to spend 100 hours um, invading the subconscious of pervy gym teachers like that. I mean, I would say that's not even half of the game because there's just so much other stuff to do. So it's like yeah, if you there's, like... There's pervy math you... teachers and, <laughs> and pervy jocks. <laughs> that's just the real world. She's laughing because it's true. That's that's just like me on my way to work today, like getting her ass. <laughs> pervy math teachers everywhere. <laughs> no, I, I definitely think it's worth checking out. There's a lot to do besides just the actual like dungeon stuff. Like the thing is, like you can kind of customize the game to do whatever you want, right? So like if you want to spend all your time going through dungeons, you can ignore all the side stuff and the relationship stuff. You don't have to, but you'd be missing out on the experience. Yeah. Okay. So then there's one more thing I want you to talk about before Jake and I start screaming about internet privacy. Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in you the Shell. You saw it. I did. Yeah. This movie mired in controversy, but you're, you you said earlier you think it's like fun. So, yeah, the controversy, I guess, has been not a guess. Like, the controversy has been um, about whitewashing the lead, right? So, it's Scarlett Johansson, um, which is not obviously the case in the original. Um, If you put all that aside, and I want to for a second, because without getting into the plot, they sort of address it. And I think they try really hard to like explain their way around it. And then it's like a jump and a faceplant because they present an interesting idea and then don't actually do a good job doing anything with that idea. That's all I'll say about that. The movie itself, though, is not bad like as an action film it's pretty enjoyable it's gorgeous it's 
pretty fast moving for like a two hour movie. Um, like I just saw Atomic Blonde at South by Southwest and that's the last action movie I saw. So in my head, I kind of compared them and it's like, I loved Atomic Blonde, but like, man, it really does drag in the middle. Yeah. I was like, Ghost in the Shell, like I was like really interested the entire time. The plot is not the deepest or most interesting, but also like keeps you hooked enough and keeps you interested enough to like make you want to see what happens. Yeah. I think my question about this movie is so much of the anime has been ripped off. It's like a like it's like a Eddie Van Halen guitar solo. <laughs> like you go back like so much of that got ripped off that you go back and listen to it, it sounds like a cliche now. Uh-huh. Do they avoid that trap? Because like so much of it has been expressed in every other kind of movie. I compared it to uh, like The Matrix in when I was writing about one of the trailers, and a bunch of commenters told me I was a complete idiot. And they were like, why, you know, like this predated The Matrix. Like, what are you talking about? These ideas were around, da, 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 da. Um, which like sort of excites me because I feel like there are interesting things that they could do with it, and I haven't seen the anime. Uh, but it sounds like maybe this has not actually evolved upon the ideas that were presented in the original. I think it's like a mishmash of um, the anime, uh, as in like the show and both movies. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I haven't actually watched it. So like the Verge team went to go see it. It was a mix of people who were familiar, like Kwame, who wrote the review, and people who weren't, like me. Yeah. Um, so to me, coming in as a fresh viewer, I think I've seen like two episodes of the, the anime standalone complex. Um, it all seemed pretty novel and interesting. But like even just looking at screenshots, like there is stuff that they've taken like bit for bit from that previous work. Yeah. I mean, the last Scarlett Johansson action movie it's I It's like saw, Lucy, where yeah, she was I, the lead. Yeah, I just saw Lucy because of my tendency to watch terrible television every night to escape the news. Lucy is a fucking awful movie. Like, it yeah, starts out bad. fine, and then it like just takes this like weird, bad turn, and you were describing this as like a jump in a faceplant, uh-huh. and Lucy just faceplants, and like I'm wondering, is this like her, is this like the problem with her movies, or like- is it just the nature of action movies that like have this particular theme to them? Like, I don't know. It's like Lucy, she wants to be an action star. Like you can tell she keeps making I mean, I don't movies. think she wants to be one. I think she is one. Sure. It's okay. like, it's basically like if you look at what she's done before, like Kwame put it really well where he was like, this is Ghost in the Shell by way of Marvel's Black Widow and yeah. Lucy. So it's not the deepest or most like, thinking man's um, version of Ghost in the Shell, but, like, it is still a a good action movie. And she does do a good job. Like, I would say there's some stuff that falls kind of short. There's one thing that threw me off, like, in the movie, she walks in this really weird, robotic, awkward way. And obviously, like, the idea is that, well, she doesn't feel at home in her own body, so, of course, she looks a little awkward, but also she is, like, she's the major, right? Like, she Mm -hmm. is leading a task force. Um, But her acting sometimes falls, like, a little flat, kind of, because, again, she's a robot. Um, That being said, like, Scarlett Johansson, I think, is a an excellent action star. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess when I, what I, I agree with you. She is one. She like plays action roles. She's an action star. She's she, they cast her in this movie because she's gonna sell tickets as an action star, right? Like that much is clear. What I what I mean by she wants to be one is like she has this aspiration to elevate the form because she's talented and sells tickets. And it's like both of this like Lucy in this movie that wall they hit of like conceptualization falling flat. Like that's the that's the the thing that links them together. And like Black Widow in all the Marvel movies, like just literally it's like formless. Like you can throw any idea on the Black Widow and it gets it helps the Marvel movies continue their plot. But as like a character that exists is like it's just I don't know, like that's like yeah. the thing with, particularly with Black Widow, I think that's a criticism I hear all the time. 
like whatever it need, needs the plot to move forward. Like she'll fall in love with any of them. And like, I'd like to see her just do the thing that I think we want her to do, which is conceptually carry a movie forward. Yeah. I don't think this is the movie that does that. It doesn't do that. Is that do they make her? Do they make her do the thing that they make too many female action stars do, which is like do the 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 leg takedown, the like, rat like spin around somebody and wrap your legs around their head and throw them. Because she, she she does that as Black Widow like four times a movie. Yeah, that's like Black Widow's like main takedown move. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She spends a lot of time punching people and shooting people, but I don't recall her oh, taking anybody down with her legs. That's great. That's really good news. Yeah, it's a win. I'm going to see this Ghost in the Shell movie. I don't know if I can commit 100 hours to Persona 5. <sighs> I'm breaking my but damn But two heart. hours for Ghost in the Shell. It's, it's a fun action movie that has some deep-rooted problems. <laughs> <laughs> some deep-rooted cultural problems. Yeah, I think that part's going to be really interesting. Like, uh, just reading our very contentious comment threads about it. And uh, having talked to Kwame and hear how they address it in the movie... Sounds totally insane. It's not good. And not That's really thought through. Faceplant. Yeah. Right. Which don't want to, I guess, spoil anything, but it, it mm, sounds like they could have addressed it uh, better. I think the idea they're going for is interesting, but like it is very much how you finish off that thought. <laughs> and they don't really finish it, right? They're just like, what if this? And then that, that, that's it. There's like no ending is to it. it. Uh, do you think it would have been better if they had just not touched on it in the movie or would that have made it worse? Th- um, I can appreciate that I think that they tried to um, and that maybe there was a little bit more thought put into it. Um, but again, like if you are going to do the thing, like you need to figure out a way to do it right. Otherwise, mm. you almost make it worse. Was it like shoehorned in like they clearly realized, oh, there's a controversy. We should need to throw some lines in here. Or I don't did- think so because I think the film was probably written far before um, it was okay. cast. Yeah, but they had to know. Like, I mean, I'm sure they knew. The question is, did they care? The answer is probably not. This episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job in all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, Vergecast listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. One more time, to try ZipRecruiter for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. Hi, Vergecast listeners. I'm Kara Swisher, the host of Recode Decode. If you like the Vergecast, I think you'll like the episode of Recode Decode where I interviewed Tim Simons, Matt Walsh, and David Mandel from HBO's Beep. We talked about everything from virtual reality to deleting Twitter to how the show is reacting to President Trump. Give it a listen and then leave us a review. Five stars, please. Find Recode Decode wherever you found this show. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and more. See you there. Jake uh, has been doing all of the FCC reporting lately at The Verge. I've been doing a lot of FCC reporting. And I've been pretending to do it on the side by asking Jake <laughs> you, to do it you, well, you have the show notes, which I like because... I will write a thing, and it will be long and, you know, let's be real, a little boring. And then you'll just 
basically swear a bunch on the page. Yeah, um, it works. And, and that's the, the fun version of it. <laughs> and so I enjoy reading that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Jake is doing actually all the work. Let's, let's be very clear. <laughs> I'm writing the angry polemics about the FCC on the side. But a bunch of stuff happened with the FCC recently. And like we can go through mm-hmm. it all, but the big one is this privacy privacy move that happened in Congress. You want to you want to walk us through it? Yeah. So after the net neutrality rules passed in 2015, the uh, FCC, uh, yeah, the FCC got in charge of uh, privacy for internet providers. So last year, they passed these privacy rules. They go through the whole process. They put it up for a proposal. They get comments. They vote on it. They vote on it again. Then it's October. They pass the privacy rules for good. Uh, they're like, okay, they're going to go into effect next year. Then Donald Trump becomes president. So uh, Congress now has a chance to reverse the rules. They did that this week. And so now there were these privacy rules that were going to do a lot of things, most notably prevent Internet providers from sharing your web browsing history without your permission. And that's not going to happen because uh, Congress didn't like it. They thought it was too confusing. They thought it was unfair. And uh we're just a signature away by Trump from uh, the rules being dead. And the White House is clearly signaling today, I think. Yeah, they're, they've put out a statement. Uh, you know, Trump's advisors suggest that he sign it. Spicer came on today and was Oh, saying, he, had a, he had a statement today. Yeah, he said— um, Yesterday he had no idea what he was yes, talking Yes, about. and so he came back today with a clarification. He said, uh, this will allow service providers to be treated fairly and consumer protection and privacy concerns to be reviewed on an equal playing field. Sure. Um, okay. Yeah. So so there is one nuance to this that I, we should actually probably be clear uh, about. We have been talking about this privacy thing in sort of a shorthand of saying I, ISPs can share your browsing data without your permission, which um, that shorthand is a little bit a little bit vague insofar as it doesn't look like I can go to Comcast and say, I would like to buy Jake's browsing history. How much? Right. 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 Like yeah. How, what is it precisely that they are able to share without like, you know, getting in trouble? I, I, I mean, the thing is they're not going to do that because that would open up a whole host of problems for, for everyone. Yeah, it would be and, insane. And we know that right. insane things never happen in this world. Yes, that's true. I mean, the thing is that, the rules are actually kind of unclear. Me and Russell are looking into this right now. The thing is, these privacy rules, there are, in fact, still privacy laws on the books. Yeah. But they're vague and they're confusing and they're meant for phone companies. And they've been applied to internet providers and these rules are meant to clarify it and say what exactly they can do with your web browsing data. But instead of having that clarification, we now have nothing. So can they share specific people's, you know, privacy or web browsing history probably not by name or you know or maybe they could under certain circumstances it's it's just entirely like unclear what's actually going to happen is that they can now use this stuff to build really hyper specific profiles of you to then you know target ads to you mm-hmm. and that's still pretty unsettling because your web browsing history is exceptionally revealing and that's going to then get combined with data they can buy from, you know, other things that'll say, you know, first of all, a lot of these internet providers are also know your, you know, uh, your TV viewing habits. They also know what you do on the phone. Um, and then they can talk to data brokers and get even more information about what you're buying, you know, f- from physical stores and so on and so forth. Um, 
And we were going to have this chance to give consumers uh, the opportunity to opt into this instead of having to opt out or have no say whatsoever. But that's just gone now. And we're basically trusting internet providers to behave. Which I don't at all. Right. I mean, I, I, the problem here is like this the, the line that they keep using is that, you know, the consumer will express their preferences in favor of privacy and internet providers will behave. But consumers never pick privacy. They never pick it. I, well, it's not even that. It's not even that consumers never pick privacy, which is a thing that is like worth saying. It's that when it comes especially to landline internet, the idea that consumers are able to pick at all is a farce because in most places there's only one, maybe two viable high-speed uh, broadband providers to choose from. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't even. I, I completely agree. It's 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 not even fair to 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 say that there is an option or that you know there could be some sort of competition because there's just not. Right in my apartment building, I have one option, and it's the one provider that comes yeah. to me. I could like maybe try to cajole my landlord into and letting the, me put a satellite on the roof. Have, the, the competition that you have actually that the FCC points to now is well, you can get mobile, right? But like. There's yeah. only four of those, and they're all going to mm-hmm. do it too. And I would, I, it's going to be really and fun. That's way more watching Netflix with my, you know, six gigabyte data cap. Yeah, like that's not going to work. Well, actually, the, you know, they could zero rate it and and give me four AP video or something. That's what you want. Yeah, that's what I want for my home. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it's like it's just this very, we, you know, we. We were this close to having these rules. They were literally, they were passed, they were reviewed, they were okayed. Um, and now, and it, you know, it's, it's inter- internet providers. They are the ones who are fighting against this. Um, there's not really anybody else who's excited about it. And, you know, it's true. There are, you know, Facebook and Google, they do have this dominance in yeah. advertising right now online. They, they have dominance in, in targeted online ads. But... The stuff they're doing, internet providers have always been able to do. Internet providers were not actually, you know, losing anything that put them in a worse position than Facebook or Google. They're just being lazy and going, oh, hey, you're already giving us your web browsing history. By browsing the web on our pipes. Right. So we may as well take it and we may as well turn it into another business and make even more money off of you, which is why it's so frustrating, right? Because you're paying them to deliver data to you you're you're not you know it's not assumed that they're then going to take that and target more ads to you and make a second thing of money off of you you're already paying them and you know the right the, there there's some something to say about some idealistic free market da, 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 thing here but that's not what consumers understand that they're buying yeah um it's not like internet providers are hurting here they're just not making as much money as they can. So over the course, because I want to be clear, Jake has been doing a lot and lot of FCC reporting over the past few months. Uh, over the course of that, where does this rank in terms of like? Because <laughs> there's a lot going on yeah. with these guys right now. Like this one to me, the amount of outrage that was generated up leading to the House vote in particular, and then after the House vote. I don't know if it was surprising. It certainly didn't change any like legislature like minds. I, I, but I mean, it's it like got there's closed, a lot, right? right? 
Yeah, I mean, this is definitely... I mean, they just squeaked it over the line. They got 215. They really did. And the thing is, they rushed this through, right? Yeah. Like, I, I was talking to people in the House, and they were like, oh, my God, wait, it's happening tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they pushed this through because they knew it was... Get, especially, people didn't really know it was coming. And then after the Senate votes, you have a bunch of headlines saying the Senate just voted to let internet providers share your web browsing history without permission. People freak out. Right. And so then there's pressure on the House and so they just rush it through. And this is more than anything that the FCC has done so far. This is, I think, generating the most pushback because people understand how this affects them. Yeah. Um, this is bad. Everybody knows that they visit websites that they would probably, you know, not <laughs> yeah. uh, broadcast to the world if, if possible. Um, that's really personal information. Uh, the other stuff is a lot nerdier. Uh, it's like about broadband deployment yeah. or it's about like the administration of subsidy programs. And these things do have really big impacts like uh, the Lifeline program is, you know, there are some restrictions on it right now, which means that there are fewer people getting, uh, you know, fewer low income households getting subsidized broadband than there should be. Um, that's hard to get people as outraged about because it's hard to put into like a quick little bite-sized thing. This privacy thing is the first, I think, really, really big thing that people are going to feel because this is this is net neutrality being chipped back in a very big way. Yeah. Um, well, not not net neutrality. Title two. Yes. Yes. Right. So yeah. I mean, there's a, there's the reclassification as as common carriers under Title two, and then all the additional power the FCC had because of that. So that's that first right. reclassification. What's weird is the rhetorical dance that they're doing. They're saying, we don't need these rules because Title II already provided for those rules. And then the next thing they're going to do is undo Title II. Yeah. Well, that's... And, and this is the thing we're watching for now, right? Because the chairman of the FCC has said again and again, he thinks Title II was a mistake. In a statement after uh, Congress finished its vote here, he said, I still think the best thing to do would be to return privacy oversight to the FTC, which you know, implies he wants to undo Title II. Yeah. The question is, can he do that? Does he, like, feel like battling it out politically for a year? Uh, we don't know. I mean, he definitely wants to. It's The question is, you know, how difficult it will be for him? How will he go about doing it? I'm yeah. not sure that Congress is going to try just because they couldn't agree on health care. Yeah, sure but... Can... Uh... <laughs> I mean, that that's, like, different, right? I mean... I can see them trying. Right. I think what they're not excited about is the they know they know the outcry that right. net neutrality got in 2015. They felt yeah. it, right? Like the FCC switchboard crashed, which is hilarious because they control the communication network in the country. <laughs> um, <laughs> like amazing irony there. So they know that there's like popular opinion. They probably are feeling the heat from this privacy yeah. thing. So the question is, are they going to do the next one? But Pi just seems like that's what he wants. Yeah, it's his dream, which is weird because it, it in many ways conflicts with his uh, like stated goal, which everyone mm. agrees with, which is like we need more broadband all over the country. And I think what he's what he's thinking is mm. if it's more profitable to build networks, people will go and build networks. Right. I think that's probably true. I mean, the the, the question is though, right? If he starts doing undoing the you know Title II proceeding, that's going to be his focus for yeah. like a year and. You know, that's that's a lot of time that he could be spending building out rural broadband uh, under rules that are already in place and that people already understand. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
that's by the way that is my entire emotion about this whole situation right it's it was fine like the yeah. broadband companies were all making a lot of fucking money they weren't doing badly and they were in, they were happy to invest in things like 5G they were happy to i mean they they were doing the work yeah i mean uh, they still are yeah. like that that's the thing they keep saying that Oh, this has killed investment. Da, 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 da. It's so horrible. But the thing is, they're still investing in, in huge amounts. There was like a slight dip in 2015, but then last year it was back up again. And again, we were even talking about broadband investment is not the only way to measure the success of internet providers. Broadband investment is just important for Pi and the FCC, right? Because what matters to them is that broadband spreads. To the United States. Right. So that's the metric that they are looking at. But the thing is, as long as these companies are making a ton of money, and they are making a ton of money, uh, they're going to try to get new subscribers. They're going to keep building out their networks. And there's some weird disconnect here where, you know, they keep, interoperators keep saying, oh, there's this regulatory uncertainty because everybody is suing over the Title II rules. But in fact, they're the ones that are suing over it. And it's like, if everybody just chilled out, we would have these really firm rules in place. Everything would be super clear about what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I, to be super blunt, they all thought Hillary was going to win. Yes. Their yeah. businesses were not about to fail when the entire country was under the delusion that Hillary would win. Their businesses aren't in jeopardy now. They just could make more money now. And I think that's like a really – there's a dangerous road we go down where the biggest broadband providers all control media companies as well, and they prioritize their own media companies. And I think that's actually a danger, right. left or right. Well, and that's the that brings it all back to the privacy thing, right? Because they have these media companies. Those media companies rely on ads, mm-hmm. and they also get more information about what you're browsing and what you're reading. Tie that in together with what you know these internet subscribers are browsing, and you have these hyper targeted ads on these websites supported by these things. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out, and it's like not all that exciting but this integration keeps happening you just had a video go up earlier today that was tracking how all of the big internet providers have been creating these integrations verizon is the really big one i think we need to write the verizon story we haven't actually like i did it in this video Mm -hmm. but verizon buying a bunch of ad tech from aol and then doing their cookies and then not have like (laughs) pi worked for verizon the dude, the dude. I mean, it was a long time. It was like 15 years ago. But he spent two years as Verizon's lawyer, and I bet he was like, "Ah, oh, this is super annoying." And now he's like walking. I mean, it's just it's wild to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's it. We ended on a really dour note with this FCC stuff. I'm Man, sorry. More to come. I mean, it's like it was really depressing yesterday. I was really down at the end of. Uh, well, I guess it was two days ago now mm-hmm. uh, when this vote was taken because it came so close. Really I watched was. the votes come in on that shit. Yeah, when C-span you're watching the votes speed. come in, you're like, oh, wait, maybe there's a chance. And, and it's like, like, there wasn't, there never was. But no, when they you squeaked the it over the line. If uh, one more Republican had gone the other way, but they literally squeaked it over the line at 215. And a bunch, and like, what is 14, 15 Republicans voted against? Yeah, yeah, they got a bunch against, a, bu- a few abstaining, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it was pretty close. They, I feel like they only needed to flip like five people or something like that. It, yeah. it was not much, um, which I think shows how passionately people care about this. Like, I mean, we covered this. There are people on, you know, the Donald subreddit flipping out about this. Breitbart. There are people on Breitbart. Breitbart, Breitbart, Breitbart comments. Yeah. Super right. against it. Here's a weird thing. 
that means nothing, and it's a Twitter engagement stat, so it means less than nothing. When I tweet our stories about net neutrality and internet privacy, it's like thousands of retweets in the first few hours. Like People desperately want to know about this stuff and care about it. And I think we all do ourselves this disservice of pretending that people don't care. Mm. But the second it's out and you're like, Comcast is going to do a thing. Disclosure, Comcast, Fox, <laughs> the listeners know. Whatever. Um, the whole disclosure is that Comcast is a minority investor in Vox Media, which owns the Verge. I can't like just like shade over it. So take that yeah. for what it's worth. But people don't trust Comcast. People don't trust AT and T. They they know they have after years and years of poor service and high prices and rising prices, they know better than to trust their their ISPs. And when you say to them your ISPs are about to do something shady, they want to communicate that out with as many people as they can because. They're afraid of it, and they don't know how to stop it. And I think this is just one of those moments. You know, I think whatever you think of the Trump administration, they came in with this, we're going to fix it all for the common person theme, and siding with broadband companies and ISPs does not feel like that. And it's I think this Title II thing will get in the way of that. No, this is like a very clear instance of siding with huge businesses that people feel like have been screwing them over for a decade plus, right? if not longer. <laughs> um, right. Nobody has a great experience w- yeah. with these companies. They, they only, <laughs> they don't show up on time. They overcharge you. They bill you for bizarre things. They make you rent weird equipment that you maybe don't need. Yeah. Right. Nobody is in love with Comcast. There's an inherent distrust, like you're saying. I definitely try to start the end of this, the end of the show by being like, that was depressing. And then we and just then got it was like, more depressing. Speaking Straight of depressing, like last week we ended in like dog and shoes, and remember this week it's like the internet's over. Like drew us pictures and tweeted nice things at us. Yeah, I want to remember that right now. <laughs> Thanks, people. Send, send us a send us a picture of uh, of the of the sun shining happily. That that's just, it. Was a we're smile. Just, we're just off, like we're just barrier. offering like kindergarten <laughs> level drawing assignments to our yeah. listeners now. Just just go outside and stare at the sun. Wait no! Don't don't ever mm. do that. That's real. Dieter, do you know when we're getting review units of this phone? Do we, like when when does the thing ship? Uh, it ships on April twenty first. Okay. Um, I would like to think that we will have a review before then. Yeah. Beyond be beyond that, uh, uh, one one cannot say uh, publicly on on a podcast. That's not <laughs> what I was asking. But, you know, <laughs> what, like soon soon we'll have phones to play with. The weird iPad thing is going to be out in the world soon. We can screw with that. We thing. will. Yep. We'll have reviews next week of the G6 and the iPad. There you go. So look, there's there's tech news in this world. Yeah. I can't can't stop hearing the G6 song. And your ISP knows everything that uh, that you want to know about said tech news. Uh, Look, that was VergeCast. It ended on a dark note, which I'm sorry for, because Jake is a delight. Turn back with next a complex, week for more horrors. <laughs> the complex inner life that I'd like to hear about from time to time. I actually fight high school gym teachers <laughs> in my free time. Only yeah. the pervy ones, though. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. That's little uh, in fact, Jake is a vampire and doesn't eat solid food. That is true. See, there's so yeah. much about Jake that you don't know Read because it on the we internet. make him write about the FCC all day, every day. <laughs> um, but there's more coming. I, we're not going to let go of this story. It's too important. But there's other stuff that's going to happen. It's going to be great. Anyway, also, thanks again to Crisal No Glory Lenses for sponsoring us today. If you wear glasses, then you know the fingerprints, sponges, scratches, and glares can be a constant obstruction of your vision, a huge distraction. That's why you should wear Crisal No Glory Lenses. They give you the clearest vision possible by offering resistance to those things. Go to Crisal.com to learn more. That's C-R-I-Z-A-L.com. Crisal, start living life in the clear. There are other shows to listen to. 
Um, if you're interested in more about the S8 and you found Dan Seifert to be a delight, he was actually on Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good. Uh, so you can listen to that. Walt and I talked about the S8 and internet privacy on uh, Control Delete. It's also it was Walt, Walt's birthday this week. Man, man turned 70 years old this week. He made a lot of very dark jokes on his show about it, which is pretty entertaining. Uh, Kara Swisher hosts uh, Recode Decode, which is wonderful. And Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media, which is also wonderful. You can tweet at us. Jake is at Jake underscore K mm-hmm. on Twitter. Megan is at Megan underscore Nicolette. A lot of underscores. I'm at R underscore Eklis. Teacher B underscore Aklon. Dan is DC Seifert, no underscore SEI. Tweet at us. We love that. We love your feedback. Go to iTunes.com slash Verge. Find all of our shows. I promise we're going to, next week when we do the rundown, I'm going to put the sad news first, and we're going to end on an upswing. That'll definitely encourage people to keep listening. Yeah. Yeah. What you want is to trick people into happy emotions. Hmm. You want to bring them down and then promise them. That's all happy emotions are, are tricks. That yeah. you play on yourself because really we're all doomed and everything is terrible and we all know it, but we trick ourselves into being happy. All right, that was it. That was Vergecast. As always, we're very sorry. Uh, rock and roll, Paul. Goodbye. <laughs>